So now I'm not just giving these people a job and we're cranking it out every day. I'm changing their livelihoods. And what is that going to do for, for the people that's connected to them? Episode 100. How about that, Jaime? That's a lot of podcasts. So odd. Uh, we, we, we do 200? What do you think? 1,000. Let's do it. No problem. Uh, we're almost there. Uh, so, hey, in this episode today, I'm super excited to share with you uh, a recent conversation I had with Chef Nick Wallace. It's time to talk a little bit about the restaurant industry. We've been spending a lot of time talking about uh, the things that affect the future of work and specifically the things that affect uh, frontline workers, the hospitality and restaurant industry. No doubt is thinking about the future of work, especially coming out of what just happened with the COVID pandemic and its impact on the restaurant industry. Chef Nick Wallace, Mississippi, born and raised. He was voted best chef in Jackson for the last bunch of years. In 2020, he was named best chef of Mississippi, remained on the list of best chefs in America. He's been featured in Southern Living Magazine, Food Network. Uh, He's appeared on Comfort Nation, Cutthroat Kitchen, Chopped, and uh, another small show you might know, uh, Top Chef. Nick won Chopped season 34 a few years back, and he's also appeared on the Food Network's Canada's Firemasters. Bottom line, this guy's been on a lot of stuff, uh, but more importantly, he's done a tremendous amount of work in his community. He started his own nonprofit organization called Creativity Kitchen to give back to local communities. Worked with Jackson Public Schools to help provide better tasting and healthier foods to students that attend these schools. I could go on and on. I wanted to talk to Nick a little bit about not just the state of the restaurant industry, uh, not just about what it's like to uh, run a kitchen, not just what it's like to lead as a chef and how you get the most out of your people. Um, But I want to talk to Nick about what his take is on the future of work in the restaurant industry. So with that, here's Chef Nick Wallace, episode 100. Let's bring it in. Chef, I guess for, for backdrop, before I jump in, I got I got a bunch of questions here. Before I do that, you mind giving everybody just a, a quick background on yourself? Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, uh, my name is Nick Wallace. Um, I used to be known as like Chef Nick Wallace throughout my uh, career. Um, I wanted to take the chef off because my work really just involved not just focusing on that dinner plate, but focusing on my community, what surrounds me, and uh, just the betterment of the food industry in a way. Um, and partnerships. So I started, um, I'm born and raised from Edwards, Mississippi, which is about 20 miles west of Jackson. And I grew up on a farm. So it was strictly homesteading. Uh, My mom moved me and my sister to Jackson uh, when I was about 11 years old. Um, I always knew that I was good with cooking because I've been cooking in, in the kitchen with my grandmother since I was, you know, five, six years old. I used to make scratch biscuits and preserves and jams and jellies when before I was even 10 years old and knew how to um, harvest crops and deal with the animals and, and, and get the eggs from the chickens, all that kind of stuff. So uh, coming to Jackson was a huge transition uh, because it was a bigger place. Uh, it wasn't rural no more. Um, and um, I wanted to get into the culinary industry. So I did. Uh, got into the culinary industry when I was 16 years old. Started working at a Mexican restaurant, washing dishes for about a year and a half. Then um, I went to prep cook and then it sped up from there. Um, After leaving there about four years, I went and started, you know, kind of staging and working at about five of the restaurants. 
um, I was I was lucky to uh, have a lot of great people in my life to point me in the right direction because back then, and I'm sure it's still going on now, but back then the, the restaurant industry was so full of, um, you know, alcohol, you know, sexual abuse, that kind of stuff. And I guess, you know, one of my ex-teachers saw something in me because she was telling me to go to the hotel industry. So I started working for Marriott when I was 20. And um, I was always good with math and everything there is all about numbers. Um, and I became exec chef in a year. So I was 21. Uh, I was the exec chef over Marriott doing about 8 million in food a year. And I had a brigade system of about 60 people. Um, so it taught me a lot. I was with Marriott for about 10 years. Uh, within those 10 years, uh, I was corporate chef as well. I lived in Anchorage, Alaska for about two years, uh, worked with Marriott. After that, uh, I did about six years with Hilton Group. Uh, that was super fun as well. And then after that, I started really focusing on who I wanted to be. Then I noticed that it wasn't a whole lot of chefs of color in, in the state of Mississippi that was actually out in that forefront. So um, I began to be a uh, executive chef, but culinary curator for the Mississippi Museum of Art. So I wanted to do something fun because I get bored easy. So that's kind of good as being a chef. Uh, started working for, for the museum, uh, planted a garden for the kids, uh, started having so much fun. Um, and from there, I started noticing a lot of Bobby, Bobby Flay's on TV, all this stuff there, man. And I, I jumped on uh, Food Network in 2013. I uh, went to Cut Their Kitchen in Hollywood with Alton Brown. And I played second. Um, then I, I didn't know what the impact was going to be when I came back to my community. So I was licking my wounds because I played second. You know, I feel I felt like at that beginning time, I felt like a loser in a way. And when I got back to my state from the show and they saw the show, it was just like, man, all these kids going to the grocery store and going to these stores and people coming to the restaurant I was working at would never be the same anymore. They was supportive of me. That actually fueled me to doing about four James Beard dinners in New York, all Mississippi theme. I took farmers up there from Mississippi. I took other chefs from Mississippi, all to support the mission. And from that point on, I, I did about four more Food Network shows, even Food Network Canada as well. As well, um, I won a few of those, which was great because it was really good for my ego and my passion. Uh, I think I deserved it at that point. Um, and then, you know, after that, I, I began to even get a little bit more strong when it came down to wanting to open my own business. So I opened my own business up about seven years ago, and I wanted to really uh, impact the future of food as far as how I saw it. So when I did that, um, it was something I wish I had done a long time ago because the reaction from everything else was like such a beautiful uh, thing because the community, I don't even market much, you know, in these surrounding areas because people just support. Um, and probably because I'm a chef of color and they haven't seen that throughout Mississippi. So I started a nonprofit too called Creativity Kitchen. I started getting into the public schools with Jackson Public Schools. And I did that all the way up until the pandemic. And I was doing selfless things like going to the shelters, um, you know, doing water drives when Jackson was out of water. You know, I was there for the community. And a lot of my reward money that I was getting from these shows, I was putting it back into my community. I was doing things for, for the community because I have built up a 
brand that's strong enough that I think it's very rewarding that I can sit back and do things for people or mentor people or guide them or get them into the workforce and really train them on a very authentic way. So that's where I am. And then honestly, when Top Chef came, I was honestly done with competing as far as in my mind and Top Chef came. It was uh, it was it was just such a blessing in disguise. And I thought about it because I never watched the whole full season of Top Chef. So when I went on Top Chef, I only watched about four episodes and I knew it was going to be huge, but it was one of those things that I just left any guilt or anything else at the airport. And I went and I said that, you know, I'm going to do my best and that's what it's going to be. So going up against, you know, 14 other chefs from across the world was pretty amazing because now I've seen all those years that I explained to you, you bottle that up into a human being. You know, I'm confident. I'm well prepared. Um, I am respectful. I know who is watching me, you know, and I know what the next generation needs to be or who they need to be looking at. So that's who I am. And the reaction was was pretty powerful. And honestly, I don't know if I'll ever stop TV shows because before I was saying that I was done with it. But, you know, now I am really honestly trying to be a model of that, you know, on the scene and TV because I think the world needs it. And they never had anybody that was a Mississippi resident that was on Top Chef. So I was the first, which I'd have been the first to be to do a whole lot. Um, I, you know, I'm, I actually have two permanent exhibits in a museum here. And I thought that you had to be dead to be featured in a museum. So it's pretty awesome because it's, it's really rewarding that the state really, you know, rewards me in so many ways throughout, throughout all my work. So now I just try to pay it forward. Um, and I'm really pumping it up into the restaurant industry now. So I have two locations now and I'll have two more locations within the four months and four months from now. And because I want to make drive through cool, I want to be able to do drive through fast food restaurant, still cook the farm to table way. And that's one of the things I've always, always wanted to do. And that's what's going to open up soon in about five weeks. Very cool. What I'm going to ask, what's the best part about being a chef, but I'm going to maybe leave it open to what's the best part about what you do, given you've done so much, you've done every, you know, kind of every role across a restaurant. Uh, what is the best part of it? Mm -hmm. The best, um, I think the best part about being, being a, sh a chef, being in the food industry now is being a role model. I'm, I'm almost 44 years old. So for me, it's a little different because I'm not, I'm not seeking for, for fame or notoriety. I have about 26 awards, you know, on my wall at home. So I'm not seeking for those things. I'm not saying I don't want no more, but for right now in my life, I think, because of the way my family is structured. One of the things I realized a while ago was my family's tree. So the the men in my, my family don't live that long. So right now I'm almost 44 years old and I'm the elder. I lost, I lost my dad, lost all my uncles. I don't have no grandfathers, it's me. So I was the first one to buy a home 
seven years ago, but that was within 60 years. I was the first one to open up a business within 60 years. So for me, I'm more focused on that and the structure as far as how things can kind of be standalone more than anything. So I think in food for me is really being a role model because I'm not just touching myself. Like I have a partnership with Hope Credit Union, which throughout all the other partnerships I got, Hope Credit Union is super genuine to me because they're a black owned uh, bank institution. But the part that I like, they like they make things easier to buy homes, get a car or get business loans. And they teach you and guide you throughout the way. So I'm a brand ambassador for them. So majority of my staff has have homes. They're first time home home buyers. So now I'm not just giving these people a job and we're cranking it out every day. I'm changing their livelihoods. And what is that going to do for, for the people that's connected to them? So it's, it's to me, food is so, so many different connectors that grows your life in so many ways. Because now one thing I just did for this one person is going to connect so many other people to his life. Obviously, your heart is in the right place. Uh, I want to throw something at you. You know, data shows that one in two Americans today have a job that's considered a bad job, which pays them below the poverty line. A $400 parking ticket could put them into poverty. That an overwhelming percentage of those workers are in a service sector job. And I just got back from a few restaurant conferences where I look at stages that a lot of the people on the stage all look the same. And they're saying things like workers are unskilled. Workers are lazy. They don't show up on time. Uh, and it feels like the finger is pointed very much at the frontline worker. And I'm going to say restaurants for a moment. It happens in every industry. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say to that? I, I, I think that is definitely the case of how things have been and I'm sure still going. So for me is... You know, my my grandfather has always had a saying that, you know, whenever he had an animal to die, if you leave them there, they stink from the head down. I think I take unskilled workers to be in on the team. I take people that has been doing financing all their life. And I have one that's a sous chef now, never cooked a day in his life, but he's been with me for four years. So. I think at the at the end of the day, if you want to call yourself a leader, I think the boss thing needs to go. I think bosses create stigmas that that really hurts other people's lives. But just like I told you about the whole credit union thing, you have to care what goes on in their life. You you really do. And you have to care their mindset, too, of where they want to go. And some things you may have to teach them, some things you may have to learn. So I think when you care about a person, because if you have somebody been working for you for five years, I think you should care about them. But if their life is no better than, you know, they was working for you the first three months versus five years, I mean, who is the mirror pointed at? You know, but but I honestly think, you know, we're always going to have a workforce issue, but our training has to be top notch. And that goes from the orientation background to the interview that goes into that. And you really want to know people's thought, you know, processes about how they see their own lives and where do they want to be. 
Because at the end of the day, my name might be on everything. But these people are wearing my chef coats, my T-shirts. They're doing it all. So they're representing a brand, but they're still representing their self at the end of the day. So I care. More, any one of my, my team members can call me and have a flat tire. Somebody's going to act on it, you know, if they need help. So we have to have that family atmosphere, but we have to care about the individual. You said that, you know, you're 45, you're the elder. There's a lot of 17, 18, 20, 22 year old young people coming into the industry. Uh, what advice do you have to them uh, as they enter environments that may not be as inclusive or caring or investing in training as you uh, what what advice do you have to them yeah that, that, that's definitely a tricky one because sometimes you get forced into situations that you have no other way to go and that is the only one i think you know we can be a part of change as well you know but i think you it's a whole lot of things i have been in those environments so i'm gonna put myself in that place so I've been in all these environments that I, I honestly screwed up many, many times when I was, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old that involved a whole lot of things that honestly that I was getting from my peers, from from my boss at the time. And it wasn't nothing that was good for me, but I didn't realize that it wasn't they, they didn't care about if I got my rent paid. They didn't care about, you know, insurance, health insurance. They didn't care about that. But honestly, at that time, I didn't care about it either because, you know, I was missing some parenting going up. So it's no excuses to to my parents. But it was a whole lot of things that I didn't have that would honestly better fit me out there into the world. So I think having bad having good habits from home kind of carries you a long way, even if you do get into bad situations, you can't carry them all just because you may want to, you know, cause that's really honestly an easy thing to do because when the other, my other friends that was cooks, when they started drinking at night, I started drinking too. So you really honestly have to have some really good habits that you can take into those environments and restaurants have some of the worst. We have a lot of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all that. We have a lot going into restaurant industries. And that's the reason why I wanted to, to, to be standalone that I can actually be that leader that can represent change as well. I was, um, I'd love to make it down to miss. I'm from Miami. I'd love to make it to Mississippi. I live in Newark, New Jersey now. And, um, me and my wife went to a restaurant in, uh, in the area last week, actually, where we got lucky enough to sit sort of, you know, right at the, uh, right at the counter. And this was a small restaurant and, uh, watching the, watching the line work, uh, as, mm -hmm. as, uh, for brunch. And it was interesting to watch the, you know, from the head chef to the sous chef to, you know, someone on the line to the expediter, the, this unspoken, they were like in flow. You couldn't even explain it. I haven't been in that position, but you're just sitting there as a guest watching mm -hmm. and what does it take as a leader? Cause you said a second ago, we got to get away from being a boss. What does it take to create an environment where there's that type of flow and teamwork and camaraderie and culture 
And I ask this because, as you know, the restaurant space has really high turnover. Environment, they a lot of environments struggle with retaining workers. What what does it take, in your opinion? How do you make that work at uh, at a level that creates an environment where a guest walks out and is like, "Wow." Well, first thing is you gotta you gotta have fun, and I and I always look at the brigade system as far as lines, almost like an orchestra. You know, doing some of those things as team outings and things like that is good. Go to a ball game. Go to a football game. Like, look at some of those things and and talk about that afterwards. You know, honestly, the team is not going to win unless everybody works together. Regardless of the center is seven feet tall and the point guard is only five feet, it still doesn't matter because everybody has their strengths. So the one thing that I thought was very positive, I used to have this chef that would you know, pump you up for being good at certain things. Me, I was good at, you know, not using my hands for things. I always used tongs. I had a I had a towel in my left hand. I always had tongs in my right hand. So no matter if you put me on fry or saute or salads, that's my setup. And I was quick at it. I was in harmony, you know. So you, but, but I only felt that way because my chef at the time was telling me I was so good at it. So at that point there, I started believing and I started feeling good about it. And then honestly, people started noticing me. And honestly, it was like a dance at that point. But he was doing everybody else like that. So and at that point, we we used to do, we used to set things up like acting. So he, he used to say all the time, it's just like acting. The reason why Nicolas Cage is so good at what he do is because they practice and they act. They act this thing. He was like some of those best moments that he had when he had that Shelby Mustang. They was doing those things over and over again until you got it right. So we used to do that without even cooking food. So we used to play like we're dropping baskets. You'll have one person, the only one that talks. Nobody else can talk. You know, then we had other things that we tapped or we hit around and hit twice when things was up just so we can keep the kitchen quiet and we can have little knocks at times just to see if we could do it. So we will put things up and and another thing is communication. So if you're on somebody back or on their side or on their right or your left, always talk to people because we don't have eyes in the back of our head, but you almost do once you, you communicate with people. So you almost could be blind walking down the street because I got somebody that I trust right there, he's not going to let me fall. So it's that same system. And I'm telling you, it's the most gorgeous things you've ever seen. It's awesome. Nick, I appreciate you taking time. I got one final question for you. You know, a lot of what you're talking about is, you know, we're talking about workforce, talking about future of work. What's your hope for the future of work? My hope uh, for the future of work is is everybody getting accepted. Um, and I say that because I've been in this industry for 20, 20, 25 years. And I, I, I got into a, a bad depression as I was coming up because I saw so many of my peers and, and, and everybody getting it, getting all these James Beer awards and getting all this recognition. And I was doing some of the same work. And everybody that I was noticing, everybody I was taking pictures with, I'm the only one of color. And at a certain point, I just didn't think I was good enough. I don't care what I did. So that was one of the reasons why I took TV. Because then I got my own voice 
and I don't have to have all these people holding me back or maybe not putting my name in a pot to get accepted. Because at this point right now, I got all my friends that's in New York, Chicago, Atlanta. They are just blown away that I've never had a James Beard nomination of no sort. I have been doing a nonprofit work. I have, I've, I've maintained national um, partnerships for 12 years of my life. So my business now, I don't even pay myself through my business. My payroll is my partnerships. So all of my money goes back into my business and goes into rewarding my staff for their birthdays, um, putting new equipment in, uh, insurance, which is out the roof. I do things like that. So I'll stay visible on that sense because it's so rewarding. And then I'll make sure that I can guarantee that my people are going to have a job as long as they want a job. So I just think, you know, those kind of things in life is so rewarding. So at, at, at one point, I just said, forget it all. I had to drop it and leave it out there and say that that's not going to be my stigma anymore. So for the next generations that's coming, I just think everybody needs to be accepted. It shouldn't be about the, the color of your skin, of your age, or, or any of that. And in Mississippi, too, you could look back off of 20 years. Look at the James Beard Award nomination. 90, probably 97% of them are white. And I hate to even do that. And it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that way. But I just want to throw it out because it should not be that way. Everything shouldn't be political. It should be about raw talent. Because if you go and eat somewhere and if it's good, that's where you're going to go because it's good. You know, and to be honest, I've told a lot of chefs that's out there working 90 hours a week slaving on that line. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's nothing wrong with that because I do it in a sense too. But what I do is I train my people and, and, and we go over things over and over. I work less hours. I have a, I'm a single, you know, I'm, I'm a single father to a 10 year old as well. So what I do is I maintain a healthy life. Um, I have a great team. I still maintain all my TV work and all. And no chef that you'll see in the state of Mississippi will get paid more than me. And that's not, uh, it's not, I'm throwing that in nobody's face, but I'm just saying it's better ways to look at this. And I'm trying to live beyond the stigma of my family that is capped out like at 63 years old. So honestly, if I looked at that tree, I got less than 20 years to live. I'm going to break that stigma, but I'm also going to put that voice out there to let the world know that everybody needs to be accepted. I don't care if you're from Mississippi, Ohio, it does not matter. If it's good, it's good. And if people love it, people love it. You know, so that's definitely my answer. And it had a little bit of frustration in it, but um, you know what? Um, I'm at peace with it now. More at peace. Nick, Nick I appreciate you taking time. You're welcome. You know, I'm always amazed when I talk to people who are uh, artisans, experts uh, in their fields. You know, Chef Nick Wallace most definitely is a master at his craft. But as I got to talk to him, I mean, it was definitely clear to me and I think maybe clear to you as you were listening to the conversation, the amount of care that Nick puts into not just his food, but his people. And the amount of time that he's thinking about not just the guest experience, but his team members' experience. Thinking about the things that they 
care about and think about that when they come into work and when they leave work. I mean, I think there's nothing more, uh, there's no better role model for what uh, is the difference between a great leader and just an ordinary manager than some of the uh, points of view and the traits that, that Nick exemplifies as he talks about not just the restaurant industry, but how you create the right team and play for each other. You know, if you look at the restaurant industry as a whole, there's 631,000 restaurants today in the U.S., 72,000 less than in 2019. It's expected to fall to 630,000 by the end of year 23, and it's not going to return to pre-pandemic numbers until 2026. Uh, all type of things are up. Cost, rent, delivery, uh, recruiting and labor costs are up. Construction costs are up. The one thing that's down is employees, nearly 500,000 less than pre-pandemic. And if you talk to any restaurant veteran, including Nick, they're telling you that uh, this is not the time for new owners to uh, screw around and figure it out. Uh, this is a moment where only veteran operators are fighting through the storm, figuring out and growing. This is also a moment where the best restaurants, the best brands, the ones that are standing out in their communities are investing not just in their service experience, they're investing in their people and they're investing in their communities. Nick said that you know his hope for the future of work was acceptance, everybody being accepted. I think that as we think about the future of work in categories like restaurants and hospitality and in these heavy frontline worker environments at a time when we're thinking about how technology is taking and ChatGPT is automating, we need more people around the table talking about the future of work from a point of view of how we can help everybody compete, participate, and ultimately be accepted. So that's episode 100, Jaime. Woo! Let's go do uh, let's go do 101. Now don't forget to subscribe to bring it in so you never miss an episode. We've got some awesome guests lined up that you're not gonna want to miss. Now, back to work.